Welcome to Satsang. Hello, Vishram. Can you please talk about why does saying yes work? Well, we'd have to have a look at uh, the opposite to saying yes, which is no. And no is a form of resistance. And if we're able to have a look at our minds clearly enough, we can see that all forms of resistance uh, create a level of dissatisfaction or a level of suffering. And so in learning to have a yes to life and acceptance of life as it is, we start to eliminate suffering. We start to eliminate the possibility of unconsciousness because in yes, we can stay clear. We can have clarity. In no, when we go into resistance, usually there's a story with that resistance, possibly victim orientated. And in the story or the drama, we're actually going into lower consciousness because we're dreaming. In yes, there's no real dream. It's just okay. What is is what is. And so our consciousness levels can actually rise in a yes, whereas they don't tend to rise in a no or in resistance because of the dream element that's attached to it. And so it comes back to, in a lot of ways, how conscious do you want to be? And how much do you really want to suffer? Because if we resist life, we create suffering for ourselves. And quite often it doesn't change much. But if we're okay with life, we don't suffer. We can still move to change from that okayness if we want to. We can still move to change from openness if we want to. Because yes is a very open way of living and no is a very closed way of living. Primarily, we're programmed to resist life. We're programmed to survive. And so in a lot of ways, the no supports that, supports that uh, resistance because it helps us survive. But if we're going for higher consciousness, it's actually the opposite direction. It's the opposite way. If we find a yes, our consciousness levels start to rise because first of all, we're just leaving dream behind. And we're leaving some level of dissatisfaction or suffering behind as well. Yes is the way of the heart because non-resistance is the way of the heart. And so if we're interested in having... Hello. It looks like we uh, just went off air for a little bit. Something to do with a technical difficulty, such as life. So... Yeah, I could have gone into resistance then because we lost power or we lost something. We lost our activity on the internet. But what's the point? Why not just accept that this is what is and leave it at that? Why go into resistance? Why create stress? Why create suffering? 
<laughs> there's no need. It's actually okay as it is. Everything's okay. Okay, must be the rain. It's raining here. So, as I was saying, we can resist life. We can go, oh, that shouldn't be happening and go into internal resistance. Or we can accept life as it is and be okay and not suffer. Because negative things do happen. It's just the world we live in. It's the way it is. And we can either resist those things or we can accept those things. People think if we, we, we accept, we don't move to change, we don't move to alter things, but it's not true. From a place of uh, non-resistance, from a place of openness, we can change everything. We can just do it from a cool place that is switched on. And so the key to higher consciousness and the key to enlightenment and the key to the way of the heart is acceptance of life as it is, rather than resistance uh, to life as it is and so this yes that uh, i talk about sometimes is important because it helps us be free of suffering it helps us raise our consciousness levels it helps us find and perceive heart and ultimately unconditional surrender is supported by yes an unconditional surrender seems to be a requirement for enlightenment from the perspective of the mind. It's up to you. You're the one that's going to create your reality because you're the one that's in charge of your thinking. Nobody's doing it to you. And you're the one that's supplying a yes or a no to life. You're the one that's either resisting or not resisting. And so you can't blame anyone else. You are 100% responsible for your reality. And so life is the way it is. Sometimes things work out the way we want and sometimes they don't. If we can be okay, if we can have a yes to both, life's a breeze. Are there any questions, any statements? or any challenges to this teaching today? The first question. How will saying yes help me in the process of awakening? Ah, did you, did you think up that question, Tosh? Uh, no, but one of, uh, one of, uh, one of our <laughs> helpers did. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, why I think I've already explained it in what I was stating in this, the earlier talk. So you can't really, awareness uh, is attracted to itself. When self-inquiry happens, you, awareness attracts to itself and there's a lock on. But when the mind goes into a no, when it goes into a contraction, especially in the early days of self-inquiry, well, awareness is likely to leave itself and go back to the mind because there's a no happening. Resistance is like a no. And whereas if there's a yes, if the mind's in a state of yes, it just stays on itself and it's quite sweet. Knowing self as beingness or everything or nothing, whatever, whichever way you want to put it. 
then you come back uh, with a contraction of the mind in the early days and the awareness is likely to leave itself, go, go back to the mind. And so, yes, supports enlightenment. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing that supports enlightenment. And yes, shows up as acceptance of life as it is in this moment. Next, we have James who would like to ask a question. Hello, James. Hello, Vishrant. How are you? Blissed uh, out to the max, James. <laughs> That's such a habitual question. I, I knew I uh, wouldn't get an ordinary response from you. <laughs> um, so I'm only 20, um, but I, I feel like uh, I've been seeking this path since I was about 16, but very seriously since 18. Um, and I've always, and kind of since that age, I felt very old in my body. And <laughs> my body's experienced a lot of pain as well. Funny enough, I kind of feel like I'm 60 um, in this body sometimes. But I kind of, maybe as every seeker, I oscillate. Um, Last year, I had maybe what some call a spiritual awakening, where for four months, I felt like I was kind of in hell, but I kind of knew that it was necessary um, for my growth. I was meditating five hours a day. Um, I was constantly fatigued. You know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my future. And then one day I got up in my bike because I'm studying science. I just left my biology exam uh, and thought, that's it, I'm going to Croatia and I'm going to see a, um, live with a guru and, and in a spiritual community. And because I, I watched a video of this guru a few nights before that. And then I got home and my mum reacted like I'd been shot, you know, <laughs> by a bullet. And um, I kind of saw some people that work with kind of energy and I started to feel more like myself again. Um, and as I kind of reflect on that, there was, it was definitely a dissolving of self, but it wasn't so pretty. And so a lot of things have happened after that period. I was the joyous I've ever been. And, um, but now, and then I kind of met a girlfriend um, and she was the first, she's been my first girlfriend. My, it's quite a deep love connection. Um, and she's also very deep and spiritual in her own way. But now I feel like, again, this kind of thing is coming over me where, but it's definitely different to the last time. Um, I feel more silence. I do feel more grounded, but as this presence comes into me, there's also, and this is getting to my question, there's also kind of this feeling of boredom and Although my suffering seems to decrease, or at least there seems to be a, a bit more ease in my life, this feeling of kind of egolessness, or at least I wouldn't say I'm totally there, but it seems to be dissolving in some ways, um, kind of leaves me with this feeling of emptiness almost. And it's, I, I, I'm sure it may pass, but that's kind of where I'm currently at. And I was just wondering your thoughts on that. 
you uh, you've made a lot of statements there, and uh, some of it rings true to what happened to me. Uh, I, I became a seeker when I was very young. I, I was interested in it when I was probably twelve, yeah. and, and and it continued on from there. Um, I went on to become a businessman instead of taking a spiritual life, and I ended up giving that business life up for a spiritual life simply because the calling which it sounds like you have uh the seeker in you is just wanting to come home mm. and you had a bit of a taste of it and you want some more and it will haunt you unless you serve it as it haunted me until i served it mm. uh, because it's you know as westerners we don't tend to think there's such a thing as past lives but I can tell you right now, there are. And if you've got a calling, more than likely you've done this a lot of times before and it's calling you home. And if you don't follow it, I think you'll have regrets. And so for me, I, I've been with the gurus. I went and hung out with the gurus. I went and hung out with the awakened ones because in their energy field, I could find myself as truth. And then eventually I could find myself as truth when they weren't there but it was because of their energy fields that i allowed myself to die in to say yes in to just give everything away in that i found that i was everything mm. and so you sound like a seeker <laughs> <laughs> and look once you've begun the journey it's best to complete it you know <laughs> yeah yeah so you went to Croatia. Where are you now, James? I'm in Melbourne. Um, oh. And I'm actually, I've just started seeing someone that you might know, might know uh, Sailor Bob Adamson. Um, yeah, I know Sailor Bob. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I've meditated because it was funny that what you were, so I found you because um, of Osho. I, there's just this deep resonance with Osho that I could not explain. And I originally watched the Wild Wild Country documentary that painted this dim picture around him and then when I one of my mates just said oh you should listen to this guy Osho and I listened to him and it and it blew my mind and then I I read I think I've read about five or six of his books and he was really instrumental in blowing up my heart as well um, just with the way he talks about love and that that was kind of just incredible and um, and and it's funny because I had the thought I, want, I don't feel that like Osho kind of as a guru enlightened anyone. And then I found like literally a day later, I found that interview that you did with him. And I saw that, oh, there's Vishrant Buddhist Society. And I clicked on the, on the channel and then I see that. And then I start watching your videos and your story and kind of, um, and also that you're Australian kind of hits home a little bit as well. But um yeah so i'm in melbourne i didn't actually end up going to croatia because um i didn't end up going to croatia i, I wanted to um but I, I i i am still studying i'm studying neuroscience actually and there's this bit of conflict within me i've had it before where it's like i could easily just drop it and and pursue this 100 but you know, it's kind of like that thing where it's like, do I just accept it? And do I just accept that? And that could be a route to spirituality as well, you know, an avenue to help people. But, um, and then there's also the pressure of parents and stuff, you know what it's like in the West. It's, um, 
So yeah, I'm in Melbourne at the moment. Right. So James, you you have a calling. You've been called to wake up. Now it's up to you. Yeah. Now it's up to you. And you get all these distractions in front of you. And everybody who's a seeker does. We get the distractions of sexuality, the distractions of relationship, the distractions of needing to be successful to prove ourselves to the world, the distraction of needing to get a degree because we think that's going to make us successful and happy. All these distractions get presented to you. There's no doubt about that. But the calling is there, mate. Follow your heart. Yeah. <laughs> that's my advice follow your heart because your heart actually knows which way to go but when you're listening to your heart it doesn't talk in words it just knows which way to go mm. and so i followed my heart that cost me my relationship because my fiance didn't want to get involved in spirituality it cost me my businesses which were multi-million dollar businesses because they were in the way and mm. so i gave them up as well because i followed my heart and I found myself as truth. Thank you. So, so what sort of advice do you think I'm going to give you, James? <laughs> Thank you. That, that, that was incredible. Thank you. Nice talking to you, James. If, uh, if you're interested in um, playing a little bit more, we run, a, we run I run uh, satsangs about eight or nine a week. And they're all Zoomed. And Tosh, who's running this particular Zoom event, uh, organises all that. And people can come on to those, um, those satsangs, which usually last about two hours. Uh, but they're a little bit more in-depth than what happens in this worldwide webinar because they're interactive. I would love to. I'd absolutely well, love to. You'd need to contact Tosh. Uh, he's the guy in charge of that. Okay. I will. Thank you. Okay, James. Next question has been written by Kelly, who writes, can I know how you feel every moment? No feeling or bliss? Say that again, please, Tosh, I didn't hear you. Can I know how you feel every moment? No feeling or bliss? Most of the time, I, I'm just vast nothingness. But if I come out here into this world, uh, still the vast nothingness, but now out here, there's bliss. It's something to do. <laughs> there's something to do with being out here. Bliss. It's very beautiful. Bliss. And if I'm with human beings, it's more like there's a lot of love. And it's not like there's anyone doing anything. It's just love. And so inside, there's just vast nothingness. And then when I come outside, there's still the vast nothingness or everythingness, whatever you, want to, however you want to put it. But there's also the world out here. And I don't know why, but it affects my mind in a way that I experience bliss. Though I have no interest in bliss. It's just what happens. Sometimes uh, the awakened state is called sat chit ananda. Sat truth, consciousness, bliss. Uh, and there's a certain truth in that. Sat, shit, and under. Truth, consciousness, bliss. The next question has been written by Terry, 
If placed into a situation such as being expected to perform a negative act, possibly harming a person, surely a no would be a positive response. We have choices in life. We can say yes, we can say no. When I'm talking about a yes or a no, I'm actually talking about the resistance we back our yes or our no with. There is no resistance in yes, but in no, there can be massive resistance. And the more resistance we put into it, the more we suffer. And so to stop someone from suffering, you, or to stop someone from being hurt, you, would, you can move to action to stop that from happening, but you can do it from a place of openness. You can do it from a place that is really a yes, not a no. We don't have to go into resistance to make a difference in the material world. We can do it from openness. We can do it from a yes. And so to put yourself in harm's way to help someone else, well, this is an act of love anyway, but it can be done from openness, not from a place of closure. But we've all been programmed to operate from closure. So it seems natural to us because it is natural. It's about survival. But higher consciousness is not about survival. It's about be going beyond the mind. And the way we achieve that is through non-resistance, which we have to learn. And we learn it by practicing acceptance. That doesn't make us impotent. We can still do things in the world. We can still stop violence happening if we want. But from a place that is more like a yes than a no, from a place of non-resistance. And this may be a little hard to understand, but it's absolutely true. The next question has been written by Enrique. Vishrant, what can help me say no less and less? Love from Peru. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's in charge of the no? Who's in charge of saying no? You, you've got to own up. It's you. You're in charge of saying no. So if you're in charge of saying no, you're also in charge of saying yes. Choose yes. Because it's a choice. Choose yes. Choose acceptance instead of resistance. You choose. Your choice. The next question is from an attendee. Sometimes when we're forced into something, there's resistance in yes. What do you suggest here? That's not the type of yes I'm talking about. <laughs> you see, if there's a resistance in yes, then there's some form of non-acceptance in the yes. A tr true yes has acceptance in it and there is no resistance in it. If there's resistance in the yes, it's actually a no. It's a no pretending to be a yes. A true yes has acceptance in it and there is no resistance. Does a person's maturity level impact their ability to have a yes to life? Yes, it does. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, immature people quite often live in the know quite often, quite a lot. They, they resist life. They turn themselves into victims of this and that. They take offense to things all over the place, offer resistance, suffer incredibly. Immaturity is something that's really not worth having. The best thing as a human being you can do is develop maturity. And quite often the way to do this is to watch other people who are mature and role model off them, copy them, and then copy them long enough until it becomes your own default patterning. It's quite possible that we didn't grow up in a, an environment that offered maturity. Maybe our parents weren't mature. Maybe our teachers weren't mature. Maybe our peers weren't mature. But that's no reason why you can't develop maturity. Find people who are mature, who are living mature lives. Watch them, copy them until it becomes your own default pattern. Because to be immature in this world is a handicap, not an advantage. Immature people suffer incredibly at their own hand. And usually they try to include other people in their suffering. Mature adults don't do that. How can one tune in with you in online satsangs? Find a big yes. Tune into the energy field. There is an energy field here. Tune into it. You might find it starting to expand your mind a little bit. Maybe a bit of pressure around the crown. Maybe a little bit in the third eye. But the transmission's happening. Open up and feel it. How does having a yes impact the relationship between a student and spiritual teacher? There is no other way to be with a spiritual teacher but with a yes, because the spiritual teacher is going to take you into the unknown. And when usually we meet the unknown, we develop some form of no. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. That keeps you stuck in lower consciousness. A spiritual teacher is trying to take you beyond the mind into the unknown, into beingness. The mind needs to have a yes to play that game. And so it's your willingness that allows things to occur. If you develop a no or you develop resistance, well, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to stay stuck where you are. You're going to stuck, stay stuck in lower consciousness. It is the yes that can set you free, not the no. It is unconditional surrender, ultimately, that will support enlightenment. And the only way you can get there is through acceptance. You can't get there through resistance. Resistance might be really good in the marketplace if you're trying to build a business or you're at the gym trying to build muscles. But in the game of higher consciousness, it does not work. What works is acceptance and surrender. And that's a yes. The next question has been written by Banu. Namaste, Vishranji. Is it necessary for someone to be a guru if someone is enlightened? Like in the case of Buddha, deities came to him and requested him to teach spirituality. Yeah, well, that's what happened here too. People started noticing the energy field and they started wanting to come and sit uh, with me. 
because the energy field itself advertises itself. Those who are sensitive enough can perceive it and they know what it means. They know that someone's awake because the energy field or the Buddha field, if it's continuous, is the only way to tell if someone's awake because different teachers have different personalities, have different ways of being in the world and they're not the same. You can't tell if someone's awake simply by what they say because of everything that an awake teacher says can be found in a library somewhere. It's been around for a long time. The only way to see if someone is awake is to perceive the energy field around them. And this is why people started coming. They started to perceive an energy field, a Buddha field. They started to find peace in it. Their minds started expanding, started disappearing, because that's what happens in a Buddha field. Their hearts started opening. And so you find someone who has this permanent Buddha field and you found someone who's awake. It's the only way to tell if they're awake. It doesn't necessarily matter what they're saying or doing. The Buddha field says it all. It can't lie. What is your opinion of hanging around people who cause me to have resistance? Perfect opportunities for learning surrender. <laughs> you see, I think that I learned more from my wife about surrender than I did about from anything else because my wife and I were very different people. We had different opinions about things. We didn't see eye to eye quite often, but that gave me the opportunity to practice acceptance and surrender. And so in hanging out or hanging around with someone who was actually um, possibly causing resistance in me, I learned to die. I learned to surrender unconditionally. And so for us in the marketplace who hold down jobs and have families, we can use every time we find ourselves in resistance, we can use that to practice acceptance and surrender, a spiritual practice that takes you home, if you want. But most people tend to practice resistance and suffer. You don't need to. Find a way to accept what is happening. Find a way to be open. Find a way to stay equanimous. Up to you. Up to you. Shine, your image seems to have frozen. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. The internet's a little unstable. Ah, I can see you now. Okay. The next question has been written by Govinda. Hello, Vishran. Namaste. Why does it take so much time for enlightenment to happen? The years of practice is required. Ah, Govinda, it takes more than one lifetime. See, people think, seem to think that this is the only life that we have and this is the only time that we can, that we've put effort into trying to wake up. My memory tells me that I've had done this for hundreds of lifetimes. And I look at people who are awake, who have woken up 
easily and I go, I know that they have done the work, maybe not this lifetime, but previous lifetimes. We look at people who wake up at uh, birth or wake up at a very young age like Amma, she's just done it before. It's not just this lifetime and it does take a long time. It takes an awful long time unless you become very willing, unless you become willing to give yourself to truth instead of giving yourself to yourself. Instead of serving you, you start serving truth. And when the mind starts serving truth, awareness can stay on truth. Enlightenment can happen. But it takes a fair bit to get to that stage. It takes a fair bit of consciousness to get to a stage where you realize that resistance, every bit of resistance you offer, is you creating suffering for yourself. It takes a fair bit of work. The highway or the freeway to waking up is to hang out with someone who's awake because they'll teach you how to surrender. They'll teach you how to accept life. I mean, they don't have much else to teach you besides having a Buddha field that you can die in, that you can dissolve in, that you can disappear in. That's, but what they teach, they all teach the same thing. Accept, let go, open up, surrender. The very thing that goes against our survival mechanism is what is taught to take people to super consciousness. And yes, it takes time lifetimes whether you remember that or not I don't know, it doesn't matter put your totality into anything in life and you're likely to achieve including spirituality see a lot of people say well do you need to become a monk or a nun enter a monastery or an ashram no you can do it in the marketplace you just have to put truth first and heart first and then your family and then your job and then whatever else. But truth and heart have to be first because whatever we put first is going to win. So we can be in the marketplace, we can have a family, we can raise our children, we can hold down a job, do the chores. And we can practice openness and we can practice acceptance and we can practice meditation and we can practice self-inquiry while in the marketplace and we can wake up here now. The following question has been written by a viewer. How does one know if the, if the third eye has opened up? <laughs> See, that's the curiosity question from the ego, which doesn't help people wake up. It's a trap. It's kind of like entertains the mind in a way. So it gets caught in opening third eye to and it becomes fascinated with that. You're better off being fascinated with opening the crown chakra because the crown chakra connects us with everything as everything. The third eye, when it opens, it does give us access to the Akashic records. It gives us access to clear seeing. 
but the ego can use that for itself. The crown, when it opens, and there's this connection with everything, the eye starts to disappear. Hello, back again. Looks like we've got technical difficulties here. Hello, Vishal. Yeah, well, back again. Amazing, eh? We dropped out a lot today, haven't we? Must yes. be the rain. Yes, I think so. The storm. You there, Tosh? Yes. Like I've been left alone. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, you're talking about the third eye opening and the crown opening. Um, so when the crown opens, when the crown opens, does the self or the, the ego disappear? It can do because you, you, you lose touch with the eye. You, you, you find yourself as everything. So there's no I, there's no, there's no you, there's you as everything. And this is a Satori. And so when you put your awareness on your crown, you can, you can experience Satori's, which not really an experience. It's just the words I have to use. It's knowing self as everything. And um, if that stays, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if that stays, you're awake because you're knowing yourself as truth and in that the eye drops because the eye is seen for what it is fraudulent. There's nothing real about the eye. It's totally imagined. There's nothing real at all about it. <laughs> the next question is from a viewer. Before we, before we go there, it's like here we are as beingness pure consciousness, pure awareness. Here we are as beingness uh, using a space suit that has an onboard computer to visit this realm. But people think they're the space suit. They think they're the onboard computer. We're this that's purely aware using the space suit. The next question. Can a Buddha or awakened being fully operate in the world and be an academic, an engineer, a builder, etc.? I really don't know. Um, I had a fair bit of trouble operating in the world in the beginning because I just wanted to sit still all day long and stare at space. But now 22 years on from awakening, I'm running a Buddhist society and a wellness center with staff. And so it's possible, it's, it is difficult though, because I don't live in my head. And so I need a lot of um, reminders <laughs> as to what I need to be doing and when. But it's possible, it's just a different way of being in the world. Ego-based reality is really living in the head and operating from the head and the mind. And being-based reality is operating from beingness and it's very different. It's like, if you got into my head, you'd wonder where the hell I'd gone. There's no one there and there's no thoughts. My mind is silent. And so there's no editor. 
And that's very different because there's no safety. There's no safety in being this. The ego is constantly thinking about safety, protecting itself by editing what it says and uh, checking out which way to go. Whereas in beingness, there, first of all, there's no fear. And so it's a very different way of living. But it's possible. I don't know if you could work as an engineer or I just don't know. The next question has been written by Usha. Is keeping quiet and saying yes the same thing? No. <laughs> you can definitely keep quiet in a no. It's called sulking. <laughs> a yes is a wide openness. And being in silence, you can also be wide open, but there can be a no in silence. How about just wide open all the time, vulnerable all the time, so the world can pass through you instead of getting caught in you? That's nice. The next question is from a viewer. Is enlightenment the end stage? Is the cycle of birth and rebirth finished? I think, look, the truth is I don't know because I'm not dead. When I die, we'll see. I don't think there's anything here to come back, but I don't know. It's like I could say I know, but I don't. There's just now, and this is real now. And when I look for someone here now, I can't find anybody that's talking. But there's no, and so I don't think there's anything to come back, but I don't know. I've read all the scriptures in the Buddha <laughs> in the sutras, and I have an understanding from them as to what other masters have said, but I don't know. I don't take anything from a book and believe it ever. I put everything that is not my own direct experience in the maybe column because it's not safe to take on beliefs. They're prisons. You're better off being a beginner always, not knowing, always. And that way the universe can flow through you. You're not stuck. Those who think they know are actually lost. They're stuck. The next question has been written by Enrique. Vishwan, what does openness mean? Closed. <laughs> Open. Defended. Undefended. Imprisoned. <laughs> I hope that helps. <laughs> open. When you're open, nothing 
nothing is contracted inside. Everything is flatlined, like you're at a zero level. It's so nice. When you were a baby, you were wide open. And then you learned to close to protect yourself from all sorts of different things. And that's normal. But as adults, because we're intelligent, we can learn to open up again. And we can live open, vulnerable. And this openness and this vulnerability supports enlightenment, supports higher consciousness, supports heart, supports the beauty. Closure is very protective, very protective, and that's survival. But we're intelligent enough to go beyond that. The next question is from a YouTube viewer. Hi, Vishran. Do you find any value in astrology? <laughs> yeah. uh... <laughs> I like the now. I'm not interested in the future. I'm not interested in the past. I like the now. And I've liked the now most of my life that I can remember because the now is real. This constant need to understand, this constant need to know, keeps us in a state of tension. Just be in love with the now, and then you can truly live. As long as we're projecting forward and remembering back, we're, not, we're existing, but we're existing in a dream. We're not living. And so, look, even if astrology does have favour in it, I have no interest in it. I don't want to know the future. I don't want to know anything about the future or anything about the past, really, because they take away from this beautiful, pristine moment. As far as wanting to know how my character is concerned, all I have to do to know how that works is to witness the mind, to develop a silent witness and simply keep watching. And then the mind shows itself, shows everything, shows all its aspects. And so I don't really get into uh, anything that involves the future, the past. I can't be bothered. There's so much beauty to live here now be here now, to be open now. It's not that I haven't been involved in astrology. Like most seekers, I got involved and I studied it. Did direct astrology. And I must admit at the time it fascinated me. But when I really look at why, it was once again me trying to control my environment through understanding rather than just letting go and being. Let go and be. It's beautiful. The following question has been written by James. Do different masters bear different fruits? For instance, with you, my heart is feeling very expanded. Is this because your path to enlightenment was from the heart? 
Look, I was with Osho Rajneesh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, when I first came across him. And he was a heart, he was a heart teacher. And I definitely did not have heart. As a matter of fact, I consider that the first 33 years of my life were wasted because I didn't have heart. And it was in the realization that I didn't have heart, which is, was the result of hanging out in his scene with his sannyasins, that I decided to pursue heart, find that beauty and live it. And so if I gave my life to heart, before I gave my life to truth, I gave my life to heart. And that meant, from my perspective, being in service. Because when we find love, we just want to help people. We just want to take care of people. That's how the mind works when it's affected by heart. And so, yeah, I'm definitely into heart because I had a heart teacher. Osho Rajneesh was a heart teacher. And it is the pathway to uh, superconsciousness, to enlightenment, because the same deal, you have to surrender, you have to put yourself aside, you have to surrender, you have to accept life. It's the same way. And I've been loving now for 34 years, and that is so nice. Love is the true jewel of consciousness, and it's the very thing that is lacking here on this planet. There's too much mind and not enough love. If there was just love, we'd have such a beautiful place here. But because there's so much mind, there's wars, there's terrorism, there's rapes, there's murders, there's theft, there's starvation. There's... All of these negative things are brought about by a lack of heart. Because when we love, when we perceive love, we just want to take care of everyone and everything this is the way of the heart the following question is from the viewer why don't you identify with being an ego again then that way you can come back for sure and help more people be awake Sorry, what was that, Tosh? Why don't you identify with being an ego again? Then that way you can for sure come back and help more people be awake. <laughs> it's pretty hard to identify with something you're not. <laughs> that would be like me identifying with my clothes. How can I say my clothes are me? They're obviously my clothes. How can I say this body is me? How can I say this mind is me? It's obviously a costume. It's obviously an outfit, a spacesuit. Looking from the perspective of beingness, how can this be me when I am everything? Not possible. Try to identify with being an I again. That would be crazy. That really would be like me identifying with being my I my clothes, or maybe identifying with being a mouse. <laughs> you see, the thing about waking up is the identity drops. It can't possibly be real anymore because it's seen for what it is, absolutely fraudulent. We are beingness. We are pure consciousness, pure awareness. That's what we are. 
And when that is known, when it knows itself, when awareness locks onto itself, it's not possible to be an I. It's possible to pretend to be an I, but it's not actually possible to be an I. That's over. The next question is from a viewer. When I start watching my breath, it becomes voluntary, meaning I start controlling it. How do I just watch it? In the beginning, disciplines required. So in the beginning, when I was first started watching my breath, I had to keep bringing my awareness back to the breath through discipline because my mind would start up with its little dreams, with its little thoughts, and pull away from the breath. And I had to use discipline to bring uh, awareness back to the breath. So I did. I just used discipline to bring it back. If I caught myself wandering, I'd bring awareness back to the breath and let the mind go, which is also another way that I practiced surrender or acceptance of life, because I just kept letting the mind go. I just come back to the breath, let the mind go because I love meditating. I love that meditation of watching the breath, actually. It was really good. It kept me very much in the moment. And after a while, it became easy. But in the beginning, it wasn't easy. In the beginning, it was hard, because I had a habit, like everybody else, of entertaining thoughts, entertaining dreams. And so I developed a new practice, the practice of being present to reality, which is the practice of meditation. And people think, well, I'll meditate 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. We can be in meditation every moment we're awake if we're present to what's real. Because that. Seems like we're experiencing some technical problems again. We'll try and get this one online as soon as possible. Hello. Back again. Hello. Yeah, just this this day, everything just it must be the rain, must be affecting things, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh well, that's how it is. Um, do we have time for one more question? Do you? Okay. This is from Barno. Does one's guru meet the individual immediately when one dies and guides the person for his or her next birth if one fails to get enlightened despite all of his practice? Can you, can you ask that question again? I didn't quite get it. Does one's guru meet the individual immediately when one dies and guides the person for his or her next birth if one fails to get enlightened, despite their practice? I don't think so, but I don't know. Uh, I, I, you know, we, you talk about a guru being somewhere in space or here and guiding a person into another life. Um, that's not my experience. My experience is I have died many times, hundreds of times. I've gone into the nothingness and then I've been reborn again. And on the way into the nothingness, it's very peaceful and very lovely. And then reborn again. 
and then as seed form coming back as a, a fully blown human as an adult and doing the whole thing over again. This lifetime, I started remembering um, my past lives when I was very young, when I was about 12. And I was a Catholic schoolboy, so it was a bit unusual to remember past lives. I just thought I was dreaming, but I was actually remembering my last life and how I died. That was the first memory. And, and then I started remembering what I did in that life and uh, how I thought in that life. And it continued. And then some years later, I started remember, like, remembering lives before that. We've been here many times, but I don't know if the guru does any guiding. That hasn't been my experience. So I just don't know the answer to that question. I'd have to put it in the maybe column because I don't know. One thing I do know is if you do remember all your past lives, you don't want to come back here and do this again. Because as a human being, in a lot of ways, we're imprisoned in our minds and the bars of the mind are made of fear. But we can get out of it. We can wake up to our true nature and be free. And that's what enlightenment is, freedom. And that is the potential of all human beings to flower and know self as truth. Thank you for that, Sam. Good to see you brave hearts here today.